Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ULP podcast. As usual, ULP stands for the Ultimate Lee Greenwood program. Tonight on the podcast is me, Scott Reed, along with... Oh, Ryan Johnson. Chris Darden. And Corey Evan Wright. On this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about American games. We're going to talk about the game X-Wing. We're going to have a discussion about what is Ameritrash or Ameritreasure. America! We're going to discuss the classic game Acquire. Uh, But first, let's talk about our weeks in gaming. Chris, go ahead. Uh, I knew you'd start with me. Um, So this past weekend, Scott and our friend Isley came to my place. So Scott and I's lists are going to be pretty similar, I think. Let's see. What are some of the games we played? We played, uh, I'm trying to think of a few, Stockpile, um, which was a uh, kind of a filler stock game. Pretty fun. Went pretty fast once you know the rules. I'm happy I picked it up. I wouldn't call it anything more than slight, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's... It just kind of went quick. I don't know how much playing you can do, but fun overall. What else did we play? We played Above and Below, which for me is kind of fading a bit with each play. Clearly, the most fun thing to do in the game is to explore Below, but that's just about it. I I think that the engine kind of gets going and then it's over. So I, I think it ends a turn too early for my taste to really see what you've been putting together work as a whole. What else did we play, Scott? We played... Vector Ops. Spectre Ops, yes, which is a sci-fi kind of Ameritrashy Scotland Yard, which isn't as good as Scotland Yard, I think. I have yet to find the game that is the Scotland Yard game that is as good as Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard just does it really well. Even Letters to Whitechapel or Fury of Dracula don't quite do the job. So I think Spectre Ops is going on my trade pile after that last play, actually. Let's see here. Uh, we played Medina, which I was happy to get to the table, which is an older game I've never played before, and I enjoyed it. Once you have the placement rules down, which are really simple, um, you can just kind of jump right in. The strategy isn't immediately apparent in the game, and I love games where at the end of the game you have this like board you know, or this setup. You look at the game, you can see what you've done over the game, you know what I mean, which is cool. So I won't go over all of the ones we played, so Scott has a few to talk about. Do you want to continue the list, Scott? I think we uh, you got a chance to play my uh, Giant Small World. Yeah, yeah, we played the Giant Small World, which has all of the races from several expansions as well as a few unique races for just that game itself, which actually I ended up running the whole game uh, with one of those new races. Uh, the Shrubmen are a race that uh, they've got a, an average amount of characters and whatnot, but the advantage that I had with that one was that wherever Shrubmen are on forests, they can't be attacked, and that also stays in decline. So what I did was I ran out and covered about three forests I think there are only four on the the three-player board anyway. But I covered three of those forests and then flipped them into decline and just held on to those. And I also had some fortified areas that allowed them to sort of hold ground. So I ended up leaving them on the board for the remainder of the game. But, uh, yeah, I really liked it. At the time, I probably would not have been able to rationalize the cost of buying that when it was on Kickstarter. But after seeing it in person, that thing is an impressive chest of game. Yeah, I'm kicking Uh, myself, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with it. I thought I was doing really well in that game, and then I had a couple of turns where I just got hammered, and I fell out of contention after that. I'm happy I have it, obviously. I like Small World, I think. And talk about deluxe editions, like, they went all out with this one. Everything in it is just beautifully made. Some say deluxe edition, and they don't go this far. This one went way over the top, so I'm happy I have it. 
Yeah, stepping back a second to talk about Stockpile. I like Stockpile. I thought it was a really light stock game. It doesn't exactly have a buy-sell mechanism to it because the real buy is a sort of a modified auction that's a little bit like Amonre or Vegas Showdown. But yeah, I thought that, that you know for a stock game that's pretty light that I think once you've once you've played it once or twice, you could probably knock out the game in about 25 minutes. I thought it was pretty okay. We also played Flick'em Up. It was our one of our late night games, and after playing it, I think I'm probably going to have to go buy it just because it's novel in its concept, where you're playing cowboys and, and outlaws with actual flicking and and like flicking discs across the table to try to knock other players' stuff over, and that also you have a movement disc where you're actually trying to get it. if you want to go into a building, you actually have to split the uprights or I guess the downrights since they're at the bottom of the building in to actually make it into the building. So I thought that was very interesting. Uh, just to think about that, and a warning to people, the future printings are going to be plastic instead of wood. If you want the wooden version, which I think will probably be better, now's the time to get it. How much is yeah. it right now? 45 for the oh, base, and bad. then another 25 for the expansion. That's going to be the break, is that the plastic version is going to be 25 uh, for ju- for the base game, and then I don't, you know, whatever, I don't know where they'll be for expansions on that. Yeah, and I don't know how the plastic version plays, but every other game I've played, it seems wood just does a better job with those kind of dex games. We also played a little magnet game called Attraction, which was rather fun. Just a like a, a, a very, very late night game that all you're doing is you've got a bunch of like oddly shaped magnets that are on the field and you are throwing your magnet to see if you can stick them. Uh, which you'd think that, that a bunch of magnets would just stick together instantly and we found there's a lot of uh, push and pull on that. Yeah, that's that's my week. Uh, Ryan, what about you? I kind of did. I did more role playing games than I did uh, board games this weekend, but I did get the full version of Warhammer Quest Silver Tower, and I probably have spent already about four hours worth of putting miniatures together, and uh, probably about another six hours left. It seems like the the miniatures are really intricate, and like there's one that I had to put together. There's at least twenty pieces to it. Fun note was that now at at the ripe old age of forty four, I can't put miniatures like that together without uh, readers and a headlamp so i looked res- ridiculous doing that but um, other than that the rest of it was all role-playing with some new well the new but now finished warhammer third edition and some pathfinder stuff so oh and uh, my kid would not leave me alone about playing crokinole so i finally broke down pulled it off the wall and he cannot get enough of it and he's already starting to get better than i am so i either need to drink more beer while i'm playing with him or just accept that he's better than me yeah. that reminds <laughs> me we played uh Sholin also scott Oh, that's right. You know, I didn't even mark Sholin down because we had been drinking. So yeah. I, I, I'm exceptionally uh, aggressive at Sholin when I've been drinking. <laughs> uh, and because and it's everything not, else. It's not typical that um, – because what do you – how many pucks do you have, Chris, overall? 20? 30. 30. 30 pucks. So I guess I only lost 10% of my pucks. Yeah. Or uh, more. Actually, more than 10% well, 20%. of my pucks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> off the board in just the first round because I flung them too hard. They either went off board or did the full bounce back past the foul line. So, yeah. yeah. Now, you guys yeah. played that little, the where you're building the little ta- little block towers and knocking them Oh, Castle right Crush. Yeah, Castle Crush. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We also played Castle Crush, which is a, I can never remember. Is it Taiwan? Taiwanese. It Taiwan? Taiwanese game, yeah. You build up your little towers with blocks, and you set them around a uh, a central platform that has uh, like a big stick, basically. <laughs> and then uh, once you build it up, you target other people's castles, and you try and drop that, drop it on those, and crush them and knock pieces off. So and when you knock pieces off, you get points for it. You have two rounds of that, and whatever's left standing, you also get points for. So how well your castle withstood it, and then there's other various rules like. You have to have a king and a general in there and a few other things. So it's a great little game. I've played it a few times now, and I still enjoy it, and I'm glad I picked it up. 
Yeah, it's a really good time. Corey, what about you? What was your weekend gaming like? I joined uh, Ryan for that uh, Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. That was actually my first roleplaying game, so that was a very hefty introduction to them, but it was it was fun. And the only other game I played was uh, Million Dollars Butt, which is a Kickstarter game from Rooster Teeth. It's like a Cards Against Humanity style game. Basically, you're trying to make up the worst thing that you like would not do for a million dollars. Uh, and then there's a voting, like a judge votes and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, that was fun. Uh, I don't I don't love it, but it was fun. But it's one of those things I can see tiring out pretty quickly, just like Cards Against Humanity does. So, But it was fun. Good family game. That is not true. Cards Against Humanity is timeless, and uh, everyone enjoys it every time they play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not true at all. Uh, I forgot I also did play, finally got my family to play Pairs, and everybody uh, unanimously loved it. It was, a, it was a huge hit. Oh, good, good. Yeah, because yeah, you had so. trouble getting them to play that. Yeah, like nobody wanted to, to play it. And I, you know, and then even when we started, they were like, same thing I had. I was like glossed over when you're explaining it. But then as soon as you start playing it, like everybody gets it and it was a blast. We played for a really long time. It was fun. Okay. So our, for our first game discussion, we're going to talk about X-Wing, which is a Star Wars themed game from Fantasy Flight Games. Chris, uh, please tell us more about X-Wing. Sure. So X-Wing came out a few years ago from Fantasy Flight Games. Look and a bit of a feel to another game called Wings of War, which was out uh, a few years prior. Probably borrowed a few things from it, but overall it's it's a bit different. So what you have is your classic uh, Star Wars ships, right? It's all set in the Star Wars universe, and they've gone on and on and on with the expansions. So they originally released stuff from the, the 4, 5, and 6, episodes 4, 5, and 6. And now they've started releasing stuff from 1, 2, and 3, and then they've even gone into the expanded universe. So things from Clone Wars and other types of programs and even the new movie has got a couple of ships out now but uh it's basically these uh nice little detailed ships um most of them are the small class but there are some bigger ones uh some of the freighter ships and things like that and it's a game where you're maneuvering around the board uh it's essentially a one-on-one game but you can play in teams so teams against teams and you control different ships against each other and you're basically just trying to blow each other out of the sky and so you form what are point armies with them basically so you determine how many points are going to be on each side and each side builds up their armies with a combination of ships and pilots and robots that they can put in there or droids sorry uh with those combinations you fly around and it's got a little the bases have little notches in them and then there are uh, various pieces of cardboard that are different lengths and curves and ways that you can fly and you can do emblems in space and so on and you plan out your move, and you move, and then you see if they're in a firing arc, and you roll dice. And so it fits in with our theme today. It's very Ameritrashy. It's designed by Jay Little, who I'm going to throw this out there. He's a friend of mine, so, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, uh, skip over that. Despite that, I do like the game. I like it on its own. I own I own a bit of it. I don't own a whole lot, but I own, I own enough to play, you know? Like, I've got a bunch of little ships. I got some big ships for cheap. Scott's giving me a look like I own a lot. Trust me, I don't own a lot compared to most people that are into the game. And I don't own anything that isn't past, like, the first few episodes either. I don't think I own anything outside of 4, 5, and 6. Because it just seems weird. It, you know, like, I don't know. I don't want to... I don't want ships... It'd be the same as in Wings of War. I don't want World War One airplanes fighting against World War Two airplanes, or yep. I don't know. It seems weird to me. You don't want to face up a Naboo fighter against uh, Darth Vader's Imperial shuttle? No, no, that I would don't. Just be stupid. Yeah, right. You, I, you guys are stupid. That's what I'm keep, saying. You keep midi chlorians out of my game, Scott. <laughs> you keep them the hell out of my game. So yeah, it 
It's fun. It's a good time. And like I said, you can go anywhere from a quick little skirmish, you know, so like 100 point uh, kind of two TIE fighters against an X-Wing kind of thing to really big ones where you're escorting a giant cruiser across the galaxy or giant space battles and things like that. Um, I know there's a big scene for tournaments out there that Fantasy Flight uh, sponsors in all the various game shops across the country. It's doing well. It has the Star Wars license. I don't know what screams America more than, you know, Star Wars and rolling dice and blowing stuff out of the sky and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's Star Wars X-Wing in a nutshell. I like it enough to own some of it. So what do you guys think? I know we all played the lake at least once. I don't know if you all have played other times. Yeah, I've played a couple times. and I. So I had a copy. I actually gave my copy to Chris. Not because I didn't enjoy the game. I just didn't enjoy the game enough to, to play it without a larger group. The one-on-one battles kind of just become this thing where you're circling each other, you know, if you're really trying to make a game out of it. So, but, I mean, you're right. American game, it's got, it's got the theme dripping all over it. The miniatures are all... I mean, pretty awesome. In fact, I mean, if I could, if there was a time machine now and I could go back and, you know, back to like 1980 and drop this into my lap back then, I mean, I would have played this until the pieces were all in shambles. Corey, what are your thoughts on X-Wing? Well, you know me, I'm the lighter gamer of the bunch. So for all the reasons Ryan just said, dripping with theme, easy dice rolls, etc. I loved it. I'm, I'm a Star Wars nut too. But I like that it, it was it was a good cooperative game and it was it was kind of casual, so didn't have to hurt my brain playing it. And I think we had a good time playing it. It was a good group. I think that makes a big difference. Um, but I as soon as we played it, I I wanted to go out and grab a copy, um, and probably will now that's cheaper. But yeah, I think the design as well. The the models are really well done. I like the um, the little movement, the cardboard wheels where that you use to to set up movement. I like that a lot, and I like the proximity system that they use. You know for engaging so it was it was fun to play i really enjoyed it i liked it the first time around when it was called wings of war oh and then wings of glory Ooh. and it was a design by an italian wow yeah if there's nothing more american than co-opting other people's stuff yeah your thank you andrea angelo lilo <laughs> wow. uh, murdered his last name <laughs> There are a number of key differences between the two systems, but there you know, are. I, yes, I agree yeah. that you know that three D models on stands, both coming from Fantasy Flight games. You know what I mean? Like the whole thing. It's, I'm sorry. Do you, you know. mean Wings of War uh, yes. min- minis? Because I yes. seem to recall those too. Yes. No. I know. That's well, I saying. think as soon as Fantasy Flight picks up anything, it becomes an Ameritrash game. Uh, in a sense. I mean, even Ingenious becomes Ameritrash just because it's got the FF on the corner of it. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. No, I, I I think it's a very solid system. Uh, I actually really liked Wings of War. I do find it interesting that Wings of War started as trying to be a miniatures game that was just a card game, and then apparently that didn't work well enough, or people were like, well, this would be cool, but could we add minis back into this? And then they added minis back in. And now X-Wing, like a lot of the, the, the real attraction of X-Wing is that you have these scale model minis of all of your Star Wars ships. So that's something that's that's pretty interesting. You know, who who doesn't want to play with a Millennium Falcon and an Imperial Star Destroyer and uh, a handful of TIE Fighters and some X-Wings and some Y-Wings? No, I really like it. I don't own any of it yet, but I will probably be picking some up while the price is good just to be something to, to have for... Because I, I feel like it's got a... 
got a fairly timeless element to it. I think that the the movement system works really well using the cardboard bits and having the dial for movement to choose where you're going to go. That's one thing I didn't like as much about Wings of War was that you had a small hand of cards, which was supposed to more accurately represent that you had a, a bi-wing or a tri-wing plane that had a limited movement and you had to program your moves out in advance, whereas X-Wing, you're doing it turn by turn and you've got a whole gamut of things available to you. Yeah, I mean, Fantasy but, Flight really did a good job with taking what worked in those cards, because I think in Wings of War you had an A, D, A, B, C, D, and E deck or something like that, and you had to look it up to see which deck was which, and then you had to actually go through and make sure you didn't have any B cards in your E deck or whatever. But um, the other thing I liked that Fantasy Flight did really well was the addition of all the extra person or the character cards. So, in like for instance, in our game, I think there were like, what five tie fighters up against what two x-wings and just because the one x-wing had luke skywalker and r2 in it made it just almost indestructible compared to what we had shooting at it so i like that they've added an element to where you can you make this base model something much more than the other version of it and such no, it's really good. I think I would put it on my recommend list for anybody to consider picking it up. Ameritrashy or not Ameritrashy. It's it's still still pretty American in, in, in all those regards. Speaking of Ameritrashy, let's move on to our second topic where we're talking about what is Ameritrash. Ameritrash is one of those weirdly nebulous terms that, that has popped up in game discussions, came, you know, came around somewhere around 10, 12, 15 years ago, where people were trying to differentiate what people would consider classic American games, where you have direct fighting, you have take-that aspects, and you have player elimination, as compared against what people were at the time were terming Euro games, where you have resource collection and point scoring, but nobody ever gets eliminated from the game. Instead, you're seeing who wins the game at the end, or there's alternately multiple paths towards victory. Ryan and Chris, I think you two probably have a bit more experience with Meritrash than I am, just because of my sort of Johnny-come-lately status to, to games, and also because I'm, I have a heart full of hate, and there's a lot of games that I just don't like. Ryan, do you want to start first and talk a little bit about your, your Meritrash roots and, how, and, and what, what games you like and why you like them? Sure. You know, when I think of Meritrash, I'm, you know, for everything that you said, it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's combat. It's super heavy on theme. You know, I think it gets its roots from games like Risk, even though Risk is a French game and the American sensibility of making a, a, a war game playable. A lot of us grew up on those types of games. So getting into the, this market where, you know, games have kind of expanded, you get companies like Fantasy Flight who are making you know, they, they kind of took a look at, you know, the eighties and saw the games workshop type games that were really popular in a small group and really just kind of built games around that. So back in college, I was definitely doing a lot of access and allies and, and then moving up into finding out about this broader game market, you know, the games like Runebound and, um, you know, Risk 2010 and, and some of that other stuff really appealed to me. And, you know, I, I enjoy Ameritrash games. I, I find it interesting that the people that say they love Ameritrash games, like Americans tend not to love board games that are too difficult. You know, in the mass market, you don't see anything that's difficult. But Ameritrash gamers go to the nth degree of difficulty, whether it's a GMT game or something from Fantasy Flight like Twilight Imperium or what have you. These games are so hard to learn that it's what I think has actually kept a lot of people that might like some of the games and the gameplay in Ameritrash games away from that kind of a game. It takes usually one or two or three plays to really get into a game like Twilight Imperium or Roombound or... or um, yeah, even the Axis and Allies stuff, right? I don't know. I, I don't understand why there's such a, there's such an appeal to these Ameritrash games that are so heavy in theme, but 
Nobody wants to read the rules for them. I tend not to play a whole lot of them because they're not that accessible nowadays. That was yeah. really com- convoluted, wasn't it? Yeah, you were kind of all over the map on that. Yeah. Uh, Chris, look, Chris, tell us something coherent about Ameritrash games then. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, Ameritrash games. What I think of with Ameritrash games is is theme first, right? Euros tend to have the mechanics down and they're streamlined and they, they show these small systems in play uh, through even smaller systems, you know, that they've, you know, abstracted down. Where Ameritrash goes for the theme first, right? Here's Space Marines. Here's all the stuff that has to do with the Space Marine. Their ships, their armor, their this, their that. You know what I mean? And then you're rolling dice to kick people's asses, basically. So, you know, it's things like that. And uh, Ameritrash games most often have direct conflict in them. Whereas Euro games have this kind of subtle interaction where you're, you're impressing someone for VPs, right? In Ameritrash games, you're going and taking other people's stuff for your victory points. So some of that stuff appeals to me. The problem with most Ameritrash games for me is the length of the game. They're usually too long and there's this point you hit where you know you're eliminated. If you haven't been doing well, if you haven't been doing something, you know, that that you are out of this game and it's still got an hour and a half to go. You know, and I think a lot of those older games fall victim to that. Even games I remember fondly as a kid, like Conquest of the Empire and, you know, things like that. You knew when you were out of it, but it was still fun because it had, like, plastic minis and it had coins and things like that. The designs themselves have gotten better, but... I think what they've done is incorporated, you know, Euro elements where you can't be eliminated all the way. You know what I mean? Or they've really become more things like one-on-one where one person doesn't just get beat up on all the time. You know, you've got games like War of the Ring, which I think is, you know, an Italian design, but, (laughs) you know, uh, but really kind of that Ameritrash feel, you know, it's, it's got minis. It's very thematic. It's got all kinds of little rules and sub rules and, you know, things like that for each of the troops and types and things like that. But it's one on one. And so when you're beating down the other guy or the other person, that's the whole point of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole point of the game. If there are multiple factions in that game and you both just, you know, gave hell to the treants or whatever, the treant player is going to be like, you know what, screw this. This is terrible. You know, like, I don't want to play this game anymore. Yeah, that's a good point, too, because a lot of the Maritrash games I've played and the groups that play them tend to have, like, these epic grudges between players, uh, even within our own group. Like, we play with a guy named Rob, and for some reason... and. In Ameritrash games, Rob just comes at me swinging every every single game, which is enjoyable to me. But I know in order to beat everybody else in the game, I'm first gonna have to beat Rob. But that that kind of thing can be kind of a problem in some of these heavier thematic, you know. Because Chris is right, it might be four hours into it, and you realize, oh, I've just spent four hours playing this game, and I'm I, I can't even really king make at this point. Yeah, and it's just I love rolling dice. I don't mind having that direct conflict. I don't mind getting screwed on some uh, event deck card that comes out or whatever the case is, as long as the game's not like four or five hours. Uh, And most of the time you pull out a game and it's got all those plastic minis of the big map and things like that. It's going to take a long time. Uh, So I'm not the biggest Ameritrash fan, but I certainly get the appeal. And I think as a kid, you know, that kid part of me sees all the minis and the big map set up and how epic it looks. And, you know, you're rolling handfuls of dice. I totally get it. It's just I don't know how fun it is for me anymore. Does there exist a zombie game that's not Ameritrash? (sighs) Man, I don't know. I'd like to play a Euro zombie game. Uh, I think that Schmidt Spieler had a zombie accountants uh it was just a game of uh it was just they 
just you invest your money with the zombies okay. and they uh and they they buy stocks for you and and try to give you a good return was it in medieval italy it was it was in medieval yeah yeah yeah, yeah you you uh got florins and we're mm-hmm. trying to impress the doge for vps mm-hmm. Bo- like, yeah, bourgeois yeah, yeah. zombies yeah, yeah. Uh, zombie yeah zombie accountants of florence semicolon uh, rialto bridge yeah yeah, which is, <laughs> which is in Venice. So I mean, it's a bad right. geography lesson in that one. Right, but it's zombies, so it's yeah, sold zombies. Of copies. Yeah, it, it totally did. Cause, well, it was the minis. The minis are really what sold it. Yeah, the proletariat yeah. mini. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because the bourgeois minis, uh, yeah. those were those were good, but I mean, they were expensive. Right, right. But you know, the true collectors have them. Yeah. Does, does Corey so, looks confused. Do you? Does it, Corey, Corey, what are your thoughts on uh, what are your thoughts on Ameritrash games? What what exposure do you have? And what elements of Ameritrash games have you enjoyed in your exposure? I don't actually think I've played any Ameritrash games, but when I was just like a more like layperson in the board game world, and I really just knew about mass market games. I think I was aware of a couple like Ameritrash games, like at least Axis and Allies, maybe maybe a couple other. But I, the weird thing is like when I was at that point in my game experience, I didn't even know like Euro games existed. I, I had never heard of like Puerto Rico or San Juan or Ant Deck or anything, any of those games. So I th- what's funny is that even though I didn't know about the Ameritrash, or I knew about the Ameritrash games, those always seemed like they were like enthusiast board games, like for people that were really into board games. And it seemed out of my mental capacity, maybe. And then now that I look at them now, like I don't think I'd enjoy them because I've played Euro games with you guys and enjoyed those a lot. <laughs> but so Corey, just just to step back real quick, that you haven't had much experience then with with anything you would regard as as a mere trash or uh, like more more direct conflict games, right? Yeah, I don't think I don't believe so. Okay, just curious. At the same token, I'm I don't have a lot of experience with Ameritrash trash because I sort of came straight in on a on a Euro train. Oh, I'm playing train games. The, like the little bit of Ameritrash trash that I still like own and appreciate are a few you know old a few classics that sort of almost bridge that gap between between Ameritrash and Euro. Like I, I still really enjoy playing Survive. Uh, and Survive sort of has, you know, theme first, elimination, direct conflict. But, you know, the 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 whole part where you're saving your you're trying to save numbers is is still comes to me strikes a little Euro y. And you know, and then I started fifteen or so odd years ago playing Risk twenty two ten and a few other things. So I've got fair I've got limited stuff, but uh I, I tend to not necessarily go theme first unless it's zombie account trading in uh, the Middle Ages, in which case I will buy that all day long. Yeah, wasn't there a vampire expansion for that? Uh there was. There was. It was they added a blood bank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Teed up and yeah. three hundred yards. Uh, anyway, all right. After that little discussion about Ameritrash, let's move into discussing a classic American game that is totally not Ameritrashy at all, but instead almost predates everything we consider Euro games, and that's Sid Saxon's Acquire. Acquire is a game from around 1962-1963, made by the classic American game designer Sidney Saxon. Uh, Sid Saxon was a was a designer who did a lot of work with Parker Brothers and possibly old Hasbro as well. He made Can't Stop, made a few other games. But he's sort of credited as being like the first true great American designer who made games that had a lot of thought behind them and had mechanisms that worked really well together. In addition to his game designs, he also collected an absolute mountain of games. He wrote several books on game design and and game playing. He predates pretty much everybody in the field as far as doing writing about games, actually wrote small reviews in his book gamut of games where he talked about things that he had experienced and games that he liked and sort of tried to present a little bit of game journalism for other people to learn about games and to seek them out. Uh, Acquire, like as I said, is about a game from 62 or 63. I'm never quite certain on the dating of it because the early copies of the games 
like what's been termed as the first edition has a copyright of 63 on the outside of the box, but then later editions that came out afterward are copyrighted 62. So I'm not certain which one came first. But Acquire, Acquire takes some very simple elements and turns them into a very, very good and very involved game. The, the game is broken down into a grid, set off by letters and numbers, so A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, I think, and then uh, numbers like 1 through 12. And there's a tile that represents each each square on the board. And there are also seven corporations, or in the classic version of Acquire, there were seven hotels, and a set of stocks for each of the, the hotels. Players begin the game with a certain amount of money, and they take a, take a handful of tiles that, as I said, represent elements from the board. The play of the game is that on each player's turn, they're going to add one of their tiles to the board. They'll check to see if they formed a corporation or a hotel, and then they can buy stock. The big key of the game is that the values of the stock and uh, what stock does for you increases as the chains build up on the board because when one tile is made is put adjacent to another tile that doesn't already have a hotel on it, those two form a new hotel as long as there's one available from the stock. That player gets to choose one, puts the tile on the chain, and then gets a founder stock for it. And then that ch- that hotel chain is now available for all players to buy. But in each round, a player can only buy a maximum of three stocks. And also, because of the way the payouts work in the game, players can also run themselves out of money if they don't end up getting payouts when chains merge. As the game progresses and players add more tiles to those hotel chains, they grow and their stock value grows, which means that later buyers are going to pay more or that by putting more tiles down into that hotel chain, if available, you're going to sort of grow the value of the stocks you're holding on in your hand. But the value of the stock growth throughout the course of the game is less important because there's there's a little bit of selling to it, but not a whole lot. Because the real magic of the game is where two hotel chains merge together. When somebody puts a tile between two hotel chains that causes them to become one hotel chain, the large chain absorbs the small chain, and the players who are holding the stocks in that small chain then get paid out for their value. The player who's holding the most stock, though, gets a substantial stock bonus for holding the most stocks in that chain, and the player who's holding the second most also gets a stock bonus. So a lot of the game is figuring out how many stocks you need to get a majority bonus and to time everything right for it so that you have the stocks and then cause that merger to happen or to be in the right place at the right time for the merger to happen to be just ahead of somebody else to get that big payout. Uh, and then from there, from that point on, uh, after the, the, the merger, the, the, there's an option of, for the, all the players. They can either sell their stocks at the current value or they can trade them two for one in the new merged large corporation or they can hold on to them for later in the game because since there are only seven companies or hotels in the game, Whenever one is merged out and goes off the board, it has an opportunity to later come back onto the board again when somebody forms a new hotel. So, and since stock holdings are kept secret, a player might hold on to stocks and to, for a later round when when one of those hotels returns to the board, and then they might then they'll have an edge on everybody else who's trying to build up stock in that corporation. And the game progresses until all the corporations on the board can no longer merge into, into each other because they've gotten too big, or there are no longer any valid plays on the board. I really enjoy the game. I've been playing it for about 10 years or so. I think it really shines with three players, maybe four at the most, even though the game says it can go to six, just because it starts to get way chaotic. I feel like it's a little almost too, it's not too chaotic at four, but it's still stretching it, but five and six is pretty much right out. Ryan, what are your thoughts on Acquire? Yeah, so it's it's probably the first true stock game I ever played, and I don't know that I was ever very good at it when we were playing it uh, in my early years, but 
we've gotten better at it as we as we go along and every time we play it i'm always surprised by just how effort effortlessly the the game kind of progresses you know from step to step and and those mergers and I, i think in other stock games some of that stuff can be kind of forced and in this one there's just this flow to the game where that stuff is going to happen and if you're not there to take advantage of it then you're losing and it, it's actually one of the games where i think i've i've been able to see my mistakes early on in the stock market and been able to correct them not always for the win but to not come in last or whatever so i, I really enjoy it Corey, what about you have you played acquire and what are your thoughts on it i haven't i, I wanted to when we were together down at the lake but we didn't have a chance to and I don't, so I don't really actually know anything about it besides your explanation there. But uh, I was drawn to the, I don't think it's the one that we had at the lake, but the one, the cover with the Art Deco building on the front is kind of cool. And that just kind of caught my eye. But the only thing that I can actually say about this is that selection of covers for this game over the years is hilarious. Some of these are priceless. <laughs> Indeed. And I think if you're, if you're looking at the, the, the gallery of photos, uh, the one I brought down to the lake is the one where it's people are dressed in a very 80s attire, sort of a, go go yuppie and you know a couple of them are holding a commonly sized building under their <laughs> arm type of business yeah yeah it's priceless i'm very fond of the brazilian version uh, cartel the uh, mm-hmm. the the mustache on that guy is is uh, <laughs> it's perfect chris what about you what are your thoughts on acquire well i love sid saxon sleuth i'm the boss can't stop you know all those bunch of games by him I'm just big fans of acquire. Uh, so the first few times I played it, I did not like it as much. I recognized that it was an elegant design, but I was, uh, I was convinced that if you weren't in the first big merger, you were out of the game. Basically. I don't know if that's necessarily true, uh, you know, but it definitely has that feel and you need to be in the thick of it. And, there is that chance that you can get screwed with tiles at the beginning and not really have a great position, but you can make that up by buying the right stocks and seeing where you know things are going. So I really enjoy the game. I own it. And I think you're right, though, that three to four players is the sweet spot for it. Um, anything more gets way too chaotic uh, in terms of the game. Um, it's also the rules are so easy that it's almost I mean, it, it really is a gateway game, I think. You place a piece, you buy some stock, that's it. That's all there is to the game. And it just works really well with the way that the mergers work and how companies take over other companies or hotels in the original version. Yeah, and and speaking of, the, as Corey mentioned, all of the different covers, uh, it is a game that has been in print almost continuously for 53 years. It's not it's not a household name. It pro- It hasn't been... I don't believe it's been for sale at Walmart or Target as far as mass merchants go, but I believe back in 1999, 2000 or so, the Avalon Hill version that's liked by so many people because it was a very, very nice components version, I believe that was on sale at Toys R Us. So it has had some market penetration, but even without market penetration, it, it's a game that has been in print for 53 years and has has thousands of copies out in the market. It's one of the more common 3M games you can find at a thrift store uh, outside of Stocks and Bonds and Twix and a few others. But it's one of the ones that, that you can buy a very quality game for a couple of dollars if you find the right thrift store copy. See, the cover of that one, that guy looks way too contemplative. Sure. Like, I don't think I'll ever be that smart. I mean, it, 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 it does make it look like like he's really thinking about, hmm, should I put down this tile? Like Is what, this the merger I want? Yeah, when I wear <laughs> my readers and I take them off, I hope I look like this guy, but I probably don't. Anybody else have any further comments on Acquire? Pick it up if you don't have it. 
Yeah, I think it's one of those games should be in everybody's collection. It does something different than a lot of other those stock games do. And, you know, again, it's had imitators like Shark, you know, that kind of use the same system, make it more convoluted, and they just don't work as well. I was going to say, if, if, if it seems familiar, it's because the game you played that was like it stole from it. Save that yes. for the grievances episode. I'm sorry. Ryan. <laughs> I, I, retract, I retract my hateful comment. Okay, then let's move on to our hypothetical for this episode. For this episode, our question was, what three Americans, alive or dead, would you want to sit down to play a game with? I originally posed this as possibly as politicians, but we went way wide on this one and said, who, anybody, any three Americans, great Americans, do you want to sit down to play a game with? And everybody is giving me a little bit of a furrowed brow here, so I think yeah, yeah I bring think it here. Chris, no. Chris, what do you go. got? Yeah, I can go. All three of mine are dead, by the way. So, <sighs> All right. So, yeah. long, so super long oh, no, terms. Yep. So uh, I'm going to start with Ernest Hemingway is my number one. Nice. Uh, just because I think he'd be salty and he'd drink whiskey and, you know, just kind of bitch about stuff along the way. So I'd enjoy that. Second would be Josephine Baker, St. Louis and the accent, the whole thing. Yeah, like I I think I dig everything. Or she became American. So or did she, or was she American? I don't know. Anyway. I consider her American. <laughs> Third would be the Macho Man Randy Savage. I think he'd be uh, be pretty fun. Just him sitting there, and maybe he'd go nuts, like a coked up Macho Man Randy Savage, Ernest Hemingway, and Josephine Baker. Like, oh, I'll just make me clear here. So you've got a drunk Ernest Hemingway, a coked up uh, Randy Savage. Is uh, it was just wasn't Josephine Baker addicted to heroin? Yes. Yeah. Ah, see, uh, yeah. so and and a. And a, a droopy passing out Josephine Baker, who's uh, who's high on age. Got it. So how yeah. long before Hemingway started doing the, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think very long at all. I don't yeah, think so like either. A, I think it'd be like yeah. immediate. Yeah. I think it'd be pretty great. They could discuss their love of cats or something. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then follow-up question, what game do you play with them? Oh, man. What do I play with those? Or... Dungeon Probably Roll. Just... <laughs> No, uh, anybody who plays Dungeon Roll with four players is insane. Um, <laughs> probably, you know, uh, I could see a choir. I could, uh, I think a choir. Just play a classic American game with all three of them. I think I went way off the mark with Josephine Baker, didn't I? Or she is American. She was born in St. Louis. I, I just, yeah. But she toured in France. Right, I, right. She feels French, yeah. but not. So my three, I, I went a little bit different approach. My three, I was going to say Macho Man, but uh, my three would be Don Knotts, uh, Dave Chappelle, and Rip Torn, and we, w- we would play Cards Against Humanity, a game I'm kind of tired of, but I think it w- with those three personalities, I mean, just because I'd like to hear Don Knotts read them, <laughs> Dave Chappelle go to town on them, and just the craziness of Rip Torn. That's, I mean, Wait, we, we're going, is it Rip Torn or Rip Taylor? Which Rip one are you Ta- going with? The, the one that throws confetti. That's Rip Taylor. Rip Taylor. That's Rip Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, Rip, Rip Torn's the drunk. Drunk. Okay. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. Uh, either one would work. <laughs> Anyone named Rip that's ever been. Yeah. All, all the rips. Uh, just to, just to go for a triple rip. Right. Rip Torn. Rip Taylor. Rip Ripley. Ellie. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a third Rip. Ripley from Alien. I mean, think about there it. There you go. Let him, let him take that a step further and just say Cards Against Humanity with the cast of the match game. Ah, there you go. Yeah, if you can get Charles Nelson Riley in there, you're right. you're just yeah. you're solid. See you know. Well, and just uh, Shelley Winters. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, what was the Hogan Hogan's Heroes guy that was just super raunchy? I, I'm lost. Uh, no one got nothing. 
uh, showing your age here, right? Oh, the yeah, no, he did no, no Family kidding. Feud I mean, later. Defi- um, <laughs> oh, Richard Dawson. Dawson, yeah. Oh, Dawson, yeah, yeah. Richard Dawson's not American. Disqualified. Oh, what? Oh, uh, Richard Dawson is English. I am not joking. Richard Dawson is totally English. Okay, my uh, my jaw dropped. He's he's yeah. English. Yes, he's got. A, it, I mean, he's got a fine American accent, but he is English, born in England. Man. Boom. Uh, Mind blow. I feel like he's uh, maybe a little more American than I am. Well, uh, that's that's a problematic, but uh, yeah, totally, totally English. All right, so take Wait, him I mean, out. I'm, put I'm put gonna, back in Chappelle. Yeah, I'm going to look this up real quick because I've yeah. known I've been known to assert a lot of things and be way yeah. wrong. I think you're right. Uh, I think you just have to go with Bob Crane on this one. If you yeah. want <laughs> oh yes, Hogan okay. Cast here, here you go. As a question, well, one, he was born in England, but two, uh, Richard Dawson is not his his real name. His real name is. Colin Lionel M. If you could, outside of Benedict Cumberbatch, I don't think you can get a more British name than that. Colin Lionel M. I'm sure Werner Klimper is American. (laughs) 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 Olga? I was going to go, Corey, what are your three? Um, Let's see. My three, Alton Brown would be one. I think he'd he'd be pretty interesting to play a game with. Pretty analytical guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any cook for you. So that's perfect. Second one's a combo. Uh, Stephen Colbert and Neil deGrasse Tyson together, I think would be awesome combo for, I don't know what game. I have no idea. The third one's real cheesy, but uh, Lincoln. That's, that's a pretty solid lineup there. You you seem like, unlike the rest of us, you actually thought about this. Yeah, so Stephen <laughs> Colbert sitting on Neil deGrasse Tyson's lap. <laughs> lap. Yeah. Is that yes. what you're, yeah. But basically, this was in my head. I, I feel like, though, if you get, a, if you get Stephen Colbert... Yeah, he would absolutely eat it up if you played like War of the Ring or some other Lord of the Rings game. That's true. Yeah, he totally yeah. would. So you'd have that going for you. And then and Ty- Neil deGrasse Tyson, I don't know, you play Twilight. Galaxy uh, Trucker. Galaxy Trucker, yeah. Galaxy you go. go for that. And he can tell you everything <laughs> wrong. Right. Yeah. I did not think about this at all. So my three were just, uh, uh, I picked uh, John DiMaggio, Billy West, and Tara Strong because they're all three voice actors and I would play games with them. And I think it would probably be a hilarious time to uh, uh, to play games. I didn't want to go intellectual. I just wanted to go dumb. Those are fine choices, though. Yeah. I would probably, with the three of those, I mean, they'd probably be great for some like some sort of party game, especially where you get to do voices. Or they could be just, just like the rest of us when we play games and be and be silly and, and just, you know, sing and do voices while we're playing something Vanilla else. Vanilla Ice, the rap game. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I'm certain that that, that I, I could hand them the rapping banana and uh, and we could just tear it up. What was that German uh, uh, record label game we played? Uh, Schiller Schiller? Yeah, I think that'd be great to lend some voices to those. Yeah, yeah, they could just <laughs> sing along and you know, make, up some, uh, make up some hits for each of those bands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Punderdome. Or oh, Punderdome. Yeah. All right, so let's make up Jeff's. So Jeff's would be... Uh, John Wayne Gacy, right? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, the, the Mama, Mama Cass. Mama Cass. Mama Cass. The the lead guy from Guar. Maybe right. Yeah, he's yeah. he's dead. Danzig. He's gonna be Danzig. dead or alive. Danzig. Danzig. Yeah. Yeah. At Glenn Danzig. Glenn Danzig. Well, uh, so he'd have someone shorter than him. That's David. <laughs> <laughs> He'll never listen to this. We're in the clear. <laughs> God, what if you had like Danzig, Tom Cruise, and Jeff at the table? Mm, mm. And then Her- Hervé Villachez. So that's that's it for our uh, for our hypothetical discussion. On our next episode, we're going to be having. We've looked at, back at all of our episodes so far, and every one of these has been so full of love for all the games we're playing. Every time we talk about a game, we're like, oh, I really enjoyed that, and that's really good, and I love to play it. 
So we're just we've just been talking about the games that we love. Next episode is straight up hate, all haterade, all the games we just can't stand and why we can't stand them, and we're just gonna rain fire down on every single one of them. Yeah, just not even you know games that we hate, but things about the industry, popular websites about board games and the features on them that we hate. There's a <laughs> there's gonna be a there's gonna be a lot of vitriol next time. Tune in for our special six-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll make it a two-parter. So that wraps it up for this episode. I'm Scott Reed. I'm at Ludography Scott on Twitter. I'm Ryan Johnson. I'm at Old River Studios on Twitter. Chris Darden, CB Darden. Uh, I'm Corey Evan Wright uh, at Be Sublime on Twitter. The ULP podcast is a production of Ludography.net. Ludography.net. Lee Greenwood is coming to our company picnic. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Games, 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 games. I'd be an American. Yeah.